Well, let's turn together to Matthew 6 tonight. Matthew chapter number 6. And we'll be looking at verses 16 through 18. And our subject for this evening is simply, When ye fast. When ye fast. And uh, obviously from that particular title, uh, we are dealing with the, uh, the principle, the concept of fasting. Now, I will tell you at the outset, the Lord does not go into uh, great detail on the actual act of fasting, but rather he is emphasizing the behavior during fasting. And so we'll talk a little bit about uh, what fasting is, of course, uh, but not really going into detail as far as the actual uh, act itself. Uh, Notice with me verses 16 through 18. Uh, Jesus now turns his attention, having dealt with prayer over the last couple of weeks, dealing with the Lord's Prayer. The Lord now instructs us in fasting. Uh, Before we read, let's keep in mind that uh, fasting took a very prominent place, uh, especially in that society, and especially with regard to the law. Uh, The Pharisees, uh, although they were wrong in their approach of why they fasted and what they did when they fasted, it was very commonplace for fasting to take place. Uh, It has been said uh, that the practice of fasting, uh, the Puritans used to call it a soul-fattening fasting, and so many have found in this practice of fasting uh, have found that there is great profit. However, with this being very profitable, uh, there is also a great danger. And of course, you'll probably see where we're going with this. Uh, it was often abused. Uh, fasting was used to, uh, to get uh, a false sense of approval from man. Uh, the Pharisees uh, who would disfigure their faces, they would go about making it very obvious that they had been fasting. Uh, They wanted people to look at them and people to say what good people they must be because look how much they are suffering uh, during this time of fasting. But it must be reminded before we even begin to read, uh, to, to look miserable or to look disfigured with a thought in order to be holy is hypocrisy at its highest level. In other words, if my desire for fasting is to look as miserable as I possibly can, uh, that's about as awful of hypocrisy as I can demonstrate. Because fasting was never meant to be about human admiration. It was never meant to be something that someone said, oh, you must be fasting today, or you must be fasting this particular week. You must be a, a great man or a great woman of God. Uh, really, that type of mentality destroys uh, really uh, what grace is really all about. Uh, Jesus will teach in this passage that you cannot expect to get the reward or the praise of other man, other men and also get the approval or the reward of God. So with all that being said, let's look at these verses. Verse 16, it says, Moreover, when ye fast, be not, notice that, be not as the hypocrites, of a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear unto men to fast. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face, 
that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. So when we see these verses, and these are going to be outlined in a very simplistic fashion tonight, uh, outlined by verse 16, verse 17, and verse 18, uh, quite simply, uh, when we talk about fasting, uh, we are talking about something that literally signifies uh, to abstain from food and drink, uh, whether out of necessity uh, or out of some sort of a religious observance. Uh, however, in Scripture, almost every time when you see the word fast or fasting, uh, it is an expression that is connected with a religious observance. Now, one thing we probably should clear up, uh, there's a lot of uh, fasting out there that has taken on its, its own life. Uh, fasting uh, is, was meant to be an expression of grief or of sorrow. Fasting was an expression of grief or sorrow. Uh, so what had been happening is fasting was not something you kind of put on the calendar and said, okay, on this day I'm going to begin fasting. What typically would happen is a fast was the result of being placed into a time of grief or sorrow uh, because of our own sin or because of our own uh, spiritual issues. Uh, it, would, it would be such a time of grief, such a time of sorrow, uh, that it's not that you just stop eating. You have no appetite to eat. You're so taken back by the reality of your own sin that the body literally says, listen, I don't even have an appetite to eat. Now, this is referred to as fasting is, is directly related to the grief of the soul. Okay, now when a soul is truly grieving, uh, a soul uh, will, a soul at a time of grief and sorrow uh, will destroy the natural appetites of the body. Now, these are important little concepts we're talking about because oftentimes we kind of treat fasting as something we're just going to schedule it and we're going to do it. Uh, and oftentimes it's connected with, I'm going to seek God's face for an answer, I'm going to seek God's face for an answer to prayer. And yet, when we, when we think about what fasting in Scripture was, uh, Jesus was not talking about a fast that's the result of, of wanting an answer to something. It, is, it was a fast that had come because the soul was grieved. Well, what grieves the soul? Uh, men that are in deep affliction uh, find themselves with a little desire to take in food or drink. Uh, the body itself refuses due to the sorrow of the mind to even perform the natural functions of what healthy humanity would look like. So the first thing I want us to get in the first point and really what Jesus is going to teach us here in verse 16 is that fasting is an expression of grief or sorrow. Okay, fasting is an expression of of grief or sorrow. And biblical fasting is a natural expression of grief, not a programmed expression of grief. So fasting often would come about as the result of the soul being grieved. For example, 
Uh, you could have today had no intention of going into what we would refer to as a fast. However, maybe it was brought to your attention today and maybe by the Holy Spirit's uh, intervention in your life, you are brought to a, a great recognition of your own sin and your own depravity. And it leads to a, a circumstance where even the natural appetite of the body disappears uh, because we are so deeply afflicted. It is not arbitrary. Uh, fasting is not something that we just arbitrarily decide, I think I'll fast today. Now, in the medical term, uh, there are many medical procedures where they tell you you have to fast for 24 hours or whatever the case may be. That's not the type of fasting Jesus was talking about at all. But he does indicate that fasting would be a regular part of the believer's life. Notice what he says, moreover, when ye fast. So this indication here that this was something that would be commonplace. This would be something that does, in fact, occur. So if fasting is not arbitrary, then fasting is what every person in grief or sorrow naturally does. That's the foundation of how it's applied to a religious observance. Because when the soul, when it's oppressed and burdened by a sense of sin, becomes so filled with grief that the body literally refuses food. So, fasting was appropriated in Jesus' day, as it should be today, to scenes of repentance, godly sorrow, or maybe suffering and affliction. So these things connect fasting as a time of grief or sorrow. Oftentimes, fasting is brought on by the recognition and the acknowledgement of prevailing sin. Sin is there. Or maybe there is some deep affliction on the horizon. Maybe there is something that is producing grief. That, uh, that it's... These things are used to humble us. They're, they're used to bring us back into a proper relationship. I'm afraid, and I'm, I didn't bring a lot of specific examples this evening of how fasting has been used to, uh, even by the prosperity gospel, the false teachers, that fasting will bring your, uh, the, the, the windfall to your bank account uh, if you'll just abstain for a little while, uh, God will multiply your resources. That's not what Jesus had in mind at all. Uh, this, this is meant to humble us, to bring us into a spiritual meditation. It's meant to direct our thoughts away from the things of this world and direct our thoughts to God, direct our thoughts to Jesus Christ, to direct our thoughts to our own sin, and realize that fasting is not to be acceptable unless it's a real expression of sorrow and grief. Now, this is important. This is what fasting is. It's, it's a real expression of sorrow, not manufactured, not programmed, and it's not arbitrary. It's, it's been described by some as the feeling that we are burdened down with a crime. That crime is sin. Now, why did Jesus make such a big deal about the hypocrites here? And this is a reference to the Jews, primarily the Pharisees. 
Because the Jews were known to have four annual fasts. Okay, there were four of them. Uh, There was a fast that was in commemoration of the capture of Jerusalem. That is in Jeremiah 52.7. There was an annual fast of the burning of the temple, which is Zechariah 7.3. There was a third fast that was done in the memory of the death of Gedaliah, Jeremiah 41.4. And then the fourth one was a fast for the commencement of the attack on Jerusalem, Zechariah 8.19. So in addition to those four annual fasts, the Jews did that every single year. There was a time of fasting four times a year for those occasions. But during the year, they had a multitude of things that we'll refer to as occasional fasts. It was customary, and biblically we know this, for Pharisees to fast twice a week. This helps us understand Luke 17 when we see the reference being made and we see the story of the, the, um, the, the, uh, the story of uh, the, the Pharisee and the publican and how the Pharisee and the publican, it's actually uh, Luke 18, I think I said Luke 17, Luke 18, and you remember the story. Uh, Jesus speaks a parable when he talks about two men going up into the temple to pray, the one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even as this publican. We all we hopefully know this story. But notice that the Pharisee then says, I fast twice in the week. Now, that was the typical Pharisee's behavior. They fasted twice per week. Now remember, if fasting was supposed to be about deep grief and sorrow and brought into a reality of the weight of their own sin, do you notice what this man is doing? He's thanking God that he's not like the publican and he's talking about how wonderful he is compared to the publican. And of course, the publican has, the publican actually gives us the right view of what it ought to look like. He says, and the publican standing afar off, which not, which would not lift up so much his eyes into heaven, but smote upon his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus in that parable says, I tell you, This man, that's with reference to the publican, went down to his house justified rather than the other. That's a reference to the Pharisee. For everyone that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. Jesus blows up the idea that that Pharisee had any part of what what God God was. So this, this was customary. Okay, so when uh, you might go around Christian circles today, and it, it might depend on what churches you've been in, you may not know a single person who has ever fasted before in your entire life. You may not know anybody. You may not have ever fasted. 
Okay. Again, this is not meant to pull out and, and put the finger on each other and say, you, did, you didn't do this or this. The idea here is, is that this is, this is something that was really meant to be in these times of deep uh, understanding of our own sin. Now, that, that's what helps us understand when Jesus said, when you fast, be not as the hypocrites of a sad countenance. Now, a sad countenance can be described as a, an expression of unfelt sorrow. Sad countenance is to make yourself appear as if you are truly sorrowful, but you really don't feel anything. Okay? So, it's kind of like pretending. It's, it's, that's why they're called hypocrites. Don't be like the hypocrite and pretend like you're really grieving for sin and making your face distorted when you don't really feel any sorrow for sin at all. Notice Jesus gives details. He says, for they disfigure their faces. Now, sometimes we see these things and we just immediately insert our own thought into this and we think about disfiguring faces and we think about making funny faces and we think about using our hands or we think about... But here's, here's what the disfigurement of faces actually meant. During these false times of fasting, these false times of sad countenance, they would cease from anointing and washing themselves as usual. Now, we're going to get into this even in a deeper manner in just a minute. But the Pharisees were very much... Uh, in tune with the reality of washings and cleansings. That's what led to that conversation when, when they were trying to trap Jesus and they said, your disciples eat with unwashing hands. You remember that? The reason that matters is because the Pharisees normally were very much into the cleansings and the washing of hands. But when they were doing these unfelt fasts, they would stop washing their hands. They would stop washing their faces. They would come out unkept, filthy. They would look haggard. Now, if, if you would have been alive in that day, the Pharisees were very well put together people. They would, they would have been the people you just said, wow, there goes the holy man. There goes the holy of holies right there. But not during these twice a week fasts. They would disfigure themselves in order that they would look as if they were going through something. Uh, they would also have the habit of throwing ashes on their heads and also putting ashes on their face. They would mix it with some false tears in order to make their face look disfigured. These guys would look horrendously bad with the intention that someone would see them and say, look what we're doing for God. Think about this for a moment. Think about all the trouble they're going to to impress man. And God was not a single instance ever impressed with the Pharisees' idea of what fasting was. And I would tell you and I tonight that if we're fasting without a real sense of sorrow, without a real sense of grief of sin, you might as well be like the Pharisees because it's really unfelt sorrow. It's the same thing as disfiguring our faces to make ourselves appear as if we're really feeling something that we're not. But here's the thing. They might deceive man 
but they never deceived God. You see, God sees through all of these false ideas and all of this hypocrisy. Uh, Human eyes can be convinced of a lot of things that aren't really so, can't they? I mean, we've heard the old saying, uh, our eyes sometimes deceive us. We think we saw something, but we didn't. In this example, we see someone and we think, boy, that person must really be under deep conviction for sin. Look at them. And yet God knew, and that's why he said, don't be like the hypocrites. They have their reward. Their reward is man walking by and saying, we're so impressed with these holy men who fast twice a week. They must really be in tune with God. They had no genuine humility in their heart. There was no piety. This is the pinnacle of hypocrisy. Really, man... And I think this is true in every aspect of our life. We should never really outwardly show more than what we really feel. If we don't feel, and listen, and I'm, I'm being intentional about this. If we don't feel guilt for sin, then don't attempt to show guilt for sin. I mean, just because you're in a, just because you're in a church and people are talking about the deep conviction of their own sin, don't start talking about your own sin if you don't really feel it. You know, we are tempted to do that. Uh, We are tempted to have spiritual conversations and someone's telling us about their own journey or what they're going through. And suddenly now we're, oh, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling deep conviction about my own sin. Are we really? Or are we just trying to get the applause and the approval of the group in which we're listening to? Don't attempt to show anything just for the sake of man's applause. And by the way, that's not just for this fasting. That's true in everything. Uh, don't put out a false sense of holiness that isn't real. And don't put out a false sense of conviction that you're really not feeling. Especially because we often do that to impress somebody. Because we think, I want them to think that I'm really spiritual. Jesus has a lot in mind here. So he says that they disfigure their faces that they may appear. I think that's a key word. They may appear unto men to fast, right? They'll appear. But Jesus says, verily I say unto you, they have their reward. That's all they get. The key is they appear to fast. So first of all, we understand that fasting is an expression of grief or sorrow. Verse 17, fasting is a humbling of the soul. Fasting is a humbling of the soul. Now, although fasting is not arbitrary, fasting is a required duty of disciples. But it's not so much a duty as it is a means of our relationship or our walk with God. What do I mean by fasting is a humbling of the soul? Well, let's turn back to Psalm 35, and I want you to see an illustration of this. Uh, Psalm 35, this, this, this principle of a humbling of the soul. We don't, we don't think a lot, um, if we're honest, we don't think a lot about our soul. We're, we, are, we are very much uh, in the moment. We're in the, we're, we think about the outward. We think about the temporal. But 
David in Psalm 35, this, this is one of those psalms that is absolutely loaded with David praying for what seems to be a few different things. In the first eight verses, David's praying for safety. In verses 9 through 16, David is rejoicing in God's salvation. In verse 17 through, 22, through 21, he's praying for God to rescue his soul. And then he finishes in verses 22 through 28, asking God to judge him with righteousness. So it's within the middle of this uh, in verse number nine. Let's pick up there. And this is in the section about rejoicing in God's salvation. He says, and my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. Now pay close attention to what David is saying in these next few verses. All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like unto thee, which delivereth the poor from him that is too strong for him? Yea, the poor and the needy from him that spoileth him. False witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. But as for me... When they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into mine own bosom. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. But in mine adversity, they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. Yea, the abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did tear me and cease not. With hypocritical mockers in feasts, they gnashed upon me with their soul, with their teeth. Lord, how long wilt thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling from the lions. You can see how David is, is, all of this is surrounded by the God of his salvation. And you can see that how he, when he compares himself to God and what God has done for, done for him, it humbles him. His, his clothing with sackcloth is a sincere demonstration of grief and expression of sorrow. But this fasting that is the inside or part of our religious responsibility also ought to be looked at as something that God has said, this is for our good. Fasting was never meant to attract attention from common man. I, I even have an issue, and again, you don't have to agree with this. I'm not, this is just, I have an issue with, with a church just standing up one day and a pastor saying, I'm, I'm, I'm calling for a fast. Because I think we're, we're in a situation where if true fasting is what it's supposed to be, you can have a group of people who are not feeling anything. They're not feeling deep grief or sorrow for their sin. They're not feeling humbled. Uh, this reality is, is that this fasting was never meant to attract attention. In other words, I may never know, I should never know, if you have fasted or are fasting. That's something between you and God. Because it's secret unto God. But Jesus says, but when thou fastest, right? So when, and back in our text, when, when he says that, don't be like the, the hypocrites, 
But look what he says. But thou, when thou fastest, anoint thine head and wash thy face. Now that's not coincidental why he said that. Because remember, what the Pharisees did is when they fasted, they stopped washing their face. Okay, this is all directly connected. He says, and he's telling them, when you're fasting, do exactly the same thing that you do every single day. So think about this. Appear as you do daily. That's what Jesus is in effect saying. Don't assume a new appearance. Don't change your countenance. Don't change your dress. Now, again, the Jews and every other neighboring nation was in a habit of washing and anointing their bodies. And if, if you know anything about this, this was common. Washings were performed at every meal. And I'm not talking just the hands. At a meal, the Jews would, they would, they would wash their head. They would wash other parts of their body. They would daily anoint themselves with oftentimes some type of a sweet oil or an olive oil. Now this was daily. This is just little bits of information here from, from study. Uh, this was actually due in part to just the very climate in which they lived in. They were exposed to great heat. This practice actually led to the health. It was used as a preservative to keep their skin safe. But it was something that they did daily. So for a Pharisee or a Jew to one day show up completely ragged and torn and haggard would have been, it would have stood out like a sore thumb. Okay? This was not just a tiny little difference. You're talking about people that were so uh, with the cleanliness and the anointing that they're showing up now as what would look like somebody who's been unkept for years. So the meaning of the commandment that Jesus is giving here is when you perform your responsibility to fast, do it as something that expresses deep sorrow for sin. Okay? This is done for deep sorrow for sin. Not for some unfelt sorrow that's not really there. But if you are fasting, which you will do, he's saying, do it in your ordinary dress and appearance. Do nothing to attract attention but as an exclusive expression of feeling towards God. And what does Jesus say? He will be the one that will approve it and reward it. Everybody see the pattern? Fasting is a humbling of the soul. This is not outward. It's not meant to attract attention. And then thirdly, and you kind of see this pattern already coming, fasting is done secretly unto God. Fasting is done secretly unto God. We ought to actually be diligent about concealing that we're fasting. Uh, we should not leave off anything that is our normal routine, whatever it is. Now again, for the Jews, it's, it's not common for us to anoint and wash our whole body during the day. I almost guarantee nobody anointed themselves with sweet olive oil today. It's just a guess. 
Most people, I, 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 most people you're not going into is say, yeah, I did that today. And I, I washed my, I washed my head at lunch today. It's, it's not part of what we do. But even in the reverse order of this, the, the, the Pharisees disfigured themselves in a negative way. You realize we could do this the other direction and start doing stuff we don't normally do to appear more holy. You know, there's that, and I don't mean to make a joke out of this, but there's that idea that everybody puts on their best face when they show up at the meeting house for the church. You know, where the old, the old joke has been, you know, people are fighting like cats and dogs in the car, then they get in the church and they say, hey, we're doing great. Everybody's doing fine. We ask how each other are doing. I'm doing great. Sometimes we are and other times we're not. It's a level of honesty here, right? So if your fasting is being done unto God, act in these seasons of fasting just like you do at any other time. Whatever your ordinary devotion to God is, it remains the same. Now, you can fast... And somebody, okay, here's a perfect example. Somebody might discover that you've been fasting or you are fasting. It happens. But don't let it be the intent of your heart that you appear to men to fast. Did that make sense? So it's, somebody may find out, hey, that person's fasting. Maybe it, it, could happen in a, it could happen in a home, a spouse. But it shouldn't be the intent to the other one saying, hey, I want her to know, or I want him to know, I'm fasting. I want them to know what's happening here. And, 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 I, and that's my, I want to give the intention. No, the reality here is, is do not fast for vain glory. Don't fast out of ambition. Don't fast out of pride. Never fast out of self-glorification. All fasting is to be done in secret before he who actually is the seer of secrets. Jesus says that secret fasting actually has an open reward. Look what he says. Thou that, that thou appear not unto men to fast, but unto thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Now, I don't know exactly what that openly reward looks like. People speculate all the time what that open reward is. And I think that's one of the things scripturally, we don't have a lot of evidence as to what that open reward is. Now, there are some thoughts that that reward is something down the road. It's, it's, it could be even into eternity at the, at the judgment seat. It could have reference to that. But here's where I settle on this. I believe that's what he says. And I believe that if we do this in secret and we do it properly, there is an open reward and that's good enough for me. I don't need to know what that means. Just like I don't need to know the hour and the moment and the day of Jesus coming again. I just know it's going to happen. And that's kind of the approach that I take. It brings us to this, this idea of having a, a heart that is looking unto God for all the reasons of why we're doing it. Never do it out of something that just brings attention to yourself. So think about what, what Jesus has taught here. 
Uh, he has taught about how we're not supposed to do, how we're supposed to do our alms. He's taught us how to pray. He's teaching us how to fast. And over the next few weeks, now Jesus is going to jump into how do we legislate or how do we behave properly in our concerns of everyday life? Fasting's not daily, but he's going to teach us on the treasures in heaven. He's going to teach us on worry, anxiety. Think about that. These are, these are daily occurrences where our minds, our eyes are upon. So let's wrap this up with this thought here. So we think about uh, the Pharisees' perspective here. Uh, they, their, their outward appearance was, hey, look at me. They wanted everyone to see that we are so we are so involved and so close to God and we're so consistent in our devotion to God that we don't even have time to wash our faces. Look at us! Yet Jesus says to His disciples, whatever you do, don't imitate those hypocrites. Don't make public your private religious exercises. You perform them unto God. Not unto men. Folks, don't ever make it your heart's desire to impress another human being in this area or even in your spiritual walk. You know, that's, that's never been the intent. You know, and I, and I, know, I know the temptation is there. I, I can speak to you with 100%. Sorry, anybody's hearing this. It happens to all of us. We, we say and do things because we're trying to make somebody think something about us. Often more than we want them to think more highly of us. Folks, you're not doing these things unto man and for man's approval. You're doing them unto God. How many times in your life personally... Has somebody called into question something about you not doing enough of something? And how many times do we say, oh, well, I'm going to respond by doing something. I'm going to show them. Listen, what you're doing, you're doing unto God. You're not doing it for the approval of man. You're not doing it for the approval of a pastor, an elder, a deacon. You're not doing it for the approval of a spouse, your children. You're doing these things unto God. And God alone. Truly, in these areas of almsgiving, in the area of our, even our prayer life, and in fasting, these, I think, are the three things that Jesus is putting his finger on and saying, these are things that really nobody should even know about. Don't pray to impress people. Don't give alms to say, hey, look, look what I'm doing. Look at all the good works that I've done. And certainly don't be like the hypocrites do and disfigure your faces and do something different so that when you walk through town or walk through the church, somebody says, boy, they must really have a devotion to God because look, they haven't had time to take care of themselves all week. They've been reading their Bible for so many hours. They couldn't even take care of their bodily needs. That's what the Pharisees were doing. And people were, people were exalting them saying, that's the picture of, a, that's a really spiritual person there. Jesus says, that's not the spiritual person. That's the hypocrite. And they already have their reward. 
All the people that are applauding them, that's their reward, but they're not getting a reward from me. It's, it, is, it is such a strong statement. When ye fast, Jesus says, be not as the hypocrites. I mean, think about, this is the Savior of the world saying, do not imitate the hypocrites. There's no more powerful statement that can be made than Jesus himself saying, what you see there, you don't want to imitate that. That's not right. That's, that's not. And think about this in the eternal realm. They have their reward. Their reward is the applause of man temporally. And yet they have no eternal reward. They have no hope of eternity with Christ in glory. This is, that. that's it. That's all you get. Jesus was so, and again, this doesn't mean that if we've done this wrong in our life as believers, but Jesus is saying the Pharisees, they, they have never had the right intention on anything they were doing. I cringe when I hear and I see, and I'm sure you probably have done this too, when you see that pharisaical attitude start to infiltrate a church and everything starts to become about the temple. Now, I'm not talking, there are things we should be peculiar. We should be different. There are things that we should act different. I'm not saying this is a license to sin, but folks, I've been in it. I'm, 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 I'm glad God delivered me from it to where your, out, your outward was judged more than your inward. And you were made to feel about an inch tall spiritually because you outwardly did not get man's approval. You're not after man's approval in any aspect of your walk with God. None of it. Jesus never once says, impress man with who you are in God. Remember, everything you're doing, you're doing unto God. Our prayer should be that God would give us a humble spirit which lives unto God and doesn't want to walk in the vain glory of man's applause. What, di- what really does, what, folks, really, what difference does it make what anybody on this planet thinks about us? Now, I, I know how tough this is, especially for young people. Believe me, I know how tough, it's tough for adults. People often say, I can't wait till I'm grown up. I won't have to worry about what other people think. People go to their grave worried about what other people think. There are people that go to their grave more worried about what other people think than what God thinks. But does it really matter what another person thinks of you if you're living unto God? No, it doesn't. I'm not talking about being obnoxious and, and living like... Terrible. I'm just saying, if, if, you're getting, if, you're, if you're more concerned about man's applause than God, there's something wrong. It is the hypocrite that proudly boasts, like the Pharisee and the publican in the temple did. It's the, the hypocrite who proudly boasts, hey, look at, look at me, look at the praise that I've got from a few people. Look, if, if all men, this is a powerful truth. Jesus said in Luke 6.26, Woe unto you when all 
men shall speak well of you. I want you to stop and think about that for a minute. If everybody's speaking well of you, that's a red flag. He goes on, he says, for so did their fathers to the false prophets. They used to speak well of even the false prophets. Don't let that be the gauge. Don't let that be the guide of where you are, of what man speaks well of you about. So I pray that the Lord would give us understanding in this. Again, this is not an in-depth of the actual act of fasting. This was Jesus taking this principle and saying, here's what fasting is. Here's what it should look like. Here's what it's not. And here's what it should, here's what you should do. So I hope that'll help us tonight. Well, we're going to pray. You can remain seated. Then we're going to have a closing hymn tonight. But let's remain seated for prayer. And then we'll stand and sing a closing hymn here in just a moment. Father, we thank you for this night. We thank you for this, for this study, Lord. And Lord, these three verses, seemingly so short, but so powerful in their truths that are being given. And Father, I pray that only the, as only the Holy Spirit can, would give us understanding, uh, would give us discernment in this area. And Father, that maybe tonight we came without an understanding of really what fasting was. Or, Lord, maybe we came and we did understand. But Lord, my prayer would be that we would have a right understanding and do these things with a proper spirit. May it never be said of us, that we do these things to impress man, to gain man's applause. May we take this principle that what we're doing, we're doing unto God. We don't seek man's approval. We seek God's approval. And may that be the desire of every one of your children. Father, again, thank you for this evening we've had. I pray now that as we sing this hymn together and close our time, that we will leave here tonight rejoicing in the great truths that we've been reminded of yet again this evening. And it's in Christ's name and for his sake I ask these things. Amen. Well, let's stand if you would, and let's turn over to 435. 435.